Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 112 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Backdoor Man. I'm joined here by my superlative co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, the man who brought House Street its infamy, the lover of Fluffy Whip, JJ. Hey, what's up? How you doing, brother? How you doing? I'm doing real good, man. Um, I missed you on the last podcast, JJ. I think the first one out of all these we've done that you were not there. Uh, you were in exactly. Turkey. You were in Turkey. How was the vacation? It was amazing. You know, I haven't taken vacation since 1995. So this is it's a beautiful thing this year. My girlfriend took me on two vacations and uh, it's uh, it's now I understand this vacation thing. It's pretty cool. I could get used to it. Excellent. Glad you had a great time, man. And our guest today mm-hmm. is a Scottish man, a founder, a CIO of elect of Eclectica Asset Management, a global macro hedge fund that ran from 02 to 2017, the high watermark events, uh, where the early and successful identification of the gold bull market in 03 and the housing debacle in 08, both of which delivered annual returns of between 30 and 50 percent. Uh, 30 and 50%, the St. Bart's luxury hotelier and acid capitalist. I'm talking about Hugh Hendry. Hugh, how's it going, man? Heavens. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm liking the vibe already. Um, <laughs> God, I must change. I'm not a hotelier. I mean, I'm just a scuzzy property developer. Or whatever. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a former uh, CIO. My hedge fund closed. The clients got fed up after 15 years. Like, oh, you know. Uh-huh. And then, like, oh my God, the people, uh, the the people who uh, who cannot distinguish between assets under management. You know, like hedge funds are like a bank. AUS, your deposits. Mm-hmm. Um, if deposits leave, that does not equate with losing money. That's just the clients coming in, coming out. But whatever. exactly, yep, yep. Hugh, man, we yeah, we we thought you'd be perfect for you know the this podcast, the vibe, man. Um, and just just a pleasure to have you on. We had we had this scheduled for last week, but I guess um we were talking a little bit beforehand. What a, a fire broke out there. You're in uh, St. Bart's, correct? Yeah, heavens, we had, I mean, they're, they're unrelated, but we had a 6.4 tremor out, out wow. north in the oh, sea. Wow. You get you get about a thousand tremors a year in the Caribbean. I mean, the house is, this is a rich island. It's, it's not the Caribbean. I mean, it's in the Caribbean, but it's not really the Caribbean. And the houses are all, you know, secured for earthquake and as much as you can be, you know, earthquake and, and hurricane. I mean, they're designed solid, but uh, at the same time, we, we, we lost uh, two of the 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 three generators electrical generators um and so we had disruption to about 80 percent of the island's energy supply which meant you know folk never had ac and <laughs> it is damn hot it's not just hot it's hot and humid this is the the low season it's uh, quite a nice time it's a quiet season on the island yeah yeah it's gotta be brutal because I, I i'm in florida hugh and it is borderline unbearably hot right now i can only imagine what it's like there right now um and so uh so opening this up um hugh uh eclectica was the name of the hedge fund and uh, just for just for the listeners uh eclectic right so definition deriving ideas styles and taste from a broad and diverse range of sources i guess Hugh, i guess like a good uh good thing here for people to get to know you what what, what are some ideas styles and tastes that you draw upon 
Um, I was, yeah, I'm so eclectic by name, eclectic by nature. Um, the, you know, the, the principal juice of my fund is, I mean, do I look like a finance guy? <laughs> Can you believe they gave me $1.5 billion? You know, um, and they, but why did they give it to me? Um, I mean, partly I got a lot of money from like pension funds in commodity countries and, you know, they were just minting it, you know, like yeah. even after the crash, of course, even places like Canada never had the housing, the the housing retreat as we saw in exactly. the US. But you had the the immediate reaction, right, the wrong reaction to to QE in March two thousand and nine, and so commodity prices went on that insane rip from oh nine into two thousand eleven, profound uh, capital misallocation by the by the sector, which they came to regret. Um, and I think I think they were just like. So swimming in water, they're like, why don't like, <laughs> why don't we give money to that idiot? It'll be kind of entertaining, you know. Um, so, but but uh, if if there was any uh, formality in their decision making, they allocated to me because I had almost no correlation to any, certainly any other manager, and I had very very low correlation to just about every other uh, principal risk asset, and so. I was an entertaining diversifier and, and my job was just to make money at, at a different time, not to lose money, you know, mm-hmm. to, and to, to make money um, at moments arguably of, of, of stress mm-hmm. in the system. Yeah. And so famously or otherwise I managed to come through in a way, you know, I had a kind of 30% plus return. So I, I delivered nice. on and, and nice. there were, there were other periods, but yeah, I was a, I was like, I don't know, my compound growth rate over 15 years was somewhere between seven and eight percent. Um, which is to say I you know, I I offered kind of somewhat convex um returns when the proverbial hit the fan. And then for the majority of time it was all about just not losing money or a lot of money when everyone was making a lot of money. So it was like an insurance an insurance policy that paid you, let's say, seven percent a year. Normally you have to pay for it. I exactly I seven carry, and then I kind of insured you on you know on bad beta years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Oh, sorry. I, I'm just curious about about um, you know why they gave you the money too. But you do have a very traditional background. I mean, you're ex Bailey Gifford. Uh, can you? I've always been fascinated with that place ever since they ran the box on Tesla when it ran to a thousand. Um, you know, Bailey Gifford was the, were the warehouse for that. Pay- yeah. Um, yeah, they were. Um, and there are many things I could tell you about Bailey Gifford. Um, but they were quintessentially growth hey, investors. What was it like working there? Can you tell us about? Um, forgive, forgive me, because I, I, I lost you on the volume there. Um, oh, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah. So you were, Sorry, asking about, you were asking me about Bailey Gifford and how they Yeah, work. what was it like to start out there and, and to train there? Hell. Absolute hell. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, um, hell, can, hell can have many facets. It, it, uh, sometimes hell can be glorious. Um, <laughs> there are some hellish places I go late at night in some kind of big metropolitan cities and have a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but, but, but hell can also be tasked taxing um and so the two sides of that i gained a, a wonderful discipline uh, you know i was working with super super smart people who were 
anally retentive um, and they were always kind of grumpy and angry. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and this is a long time ago. Um, this is like heavens. Um, I don't know, a long time ago. Um, 90s. <laughs> 90s, yeah. And so like, I, I remember I, I, I had to, like, well, I guess it was on a computer I was typing, but um, I would be writing um, once a month an economic report. And then in, in the other weeks, I'd be writing a stock analysis. So there was a nice combination of macro and, and micro. Um, the reports had to be printed. And then I was responsible for delivering it by hand in paper. Oh, yeah. Yep. Every person. And then I had to make formal presentations. And I tell you, if there was a syntax error, God forgive you. You know, they oh, were wow. unspared. Um, <laughs> but they were quintessential growth investors. They they sought to control risk, I think naively, but they sought to control risk through superior stock selection. They, the argument that, you know, businesses with strong moats, you know, the whole Warren Buffett thing would be less subject to the capriciousness mm-hmm. uh, that can befall weaker franchises. And that's true to an extent, but of course, it doesn't really capture when those businesses are overvalued and where the expected return becomes really kind of, you know, uh, not so attractive. And and then even the best businesses are subject to a reversal, you know, the, Im- the Im- impermanence of life. Things do change. You know? um, and when they changed, I remember, you know, they had and you know, they, the noble thing was they were very concentrated investors. You know, a global equity portfolio would have no more than 40 stocks, 40 positions, wow. you know, punch. Okay. Uh, but that meant they ended up having between six and 10% uh, of, of, of the large companies. Um, and when they went wrong, they just, they, they prevaricated, procrastinated for the longest time oh, and would okay. sell out like at a really bad price. But Hey, you know, um, the, their growth mantra. I when I worked for them, they had three billion dollars, and I I think at the height of the Tesla thing, they were almost four hundred billion dollars. Exactly. You know, asset prices have gone up, but they went up more. You know, so well done them. Good stuff. Sorry, I interrupted Ray. I'm, no. I've got so many questions. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that was going to be along the lines <laughs> of where where I was going to take this anyway, because you know, Hugh, you know, um, we were talking about you know, uh, eccentricity, right, and uh did you did you hide some of that of yourself like when you first started working like you know i, I you know i'm not sure i never worked in the you know in the industry so i'm not sure uh you know you had to, you played more of a fit-in role or were you still some of yourself maybe a mixture of both um good question um it's funny i was um i just got this new uh outdoor cinema in, installed down here in st bars and it's dope. It is gigantic and it's connected to Sonos. I mean, it is insane. So <laughs> I've been watching movies. I've been watching the back catalog. And two nights ago, I was watching Snatch uh, with an oh, American. Oh, great. Great, great movie, sorry. Uh, Guy Ritchie and you have uh, Brad Pitt and, and a list of them. The ensemble is incredible. Um, but Brad Pitt playing uh, a pikey. And like my friends like, <laughs> heard that term <laughs> for those who don't understand is a, a very condescending term for um irish gypsies and and, and 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 other nationalities but particularly irish um and and so you have the irish gypsy, gypsies talking about the dags and the ponies uh, <laughs> the dogs and the horses um and then they are coming up against the london kind of 
uh, underworld, the nefarious world of you know gangsters, and they all speak Cockney rhyme, and it's impossible to watch without subtitles. And I say that because I was a kind of Mary, is it Mary Poppins? What, what's the movie where they they hire the kind of you know, hey, diamond geezer or whatever, you know, the girl that has the the the, the impenetrable London kind of <laughs> vernacular and they try and turn her, my fair lady. They my try, fair lady, yeah. Uh, they try and yeah. uh, teach her the grace and refinement of the, the upper class. And that's why <laughs> I find myself, I, I find myself with partners who who would wear the suits, the tailored suits of their dead fathers. And, <laughs> and let me tell you, their progeny were, taller than their fathers and like you know <laughs> these guys would have like big gaps between the end of the, the trousers and then where the the heel began so to speak um and i was hired as a diversity candidate because remember again they were managing three billion dollars but they were on a, a, a push into north america and they were okay. kind of struggling a little bit and so you know, they phoned a consultant, consultant had no idea. And so made up the story like, hey, listen, you every year you take four graduates from Ox, Oxford or, or Cambridge. You know, these are the, the top two Ivy League universities. And mm-hmm. um, we feel you need to bring in some kind of local kids. And that was me. <laughs> nice. And, you know, and I used to speak, I'm now affected, but um, in kids from Glasgow, where I was born, um, um, would use the word definitely a, a lot, but it would be pronounced uh, with an extra syllable. It'd be definitely, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this caused profound angst and and some kind of tittering. And so all of that was knocked out of me. Um, but why did I get that job? I got that job through serendipity, uh, mm. through passion. You know, passion is is something which illuminates even dark paths. Um, and then. Like I say, I received a, a wonderful, I mean, a wonderful, wonderfully rigorous education. Um, but there was something about my cadence. And I, to this day, I can't explain it. But I had, I always had a sense of either positive or negative foreboding. I saw things before others. But they hadn't transitioned my skill set. They hadn't enabled me to monetize it. Because analysis was very much, again, at the level of the, the franchise level. They would never look at charts. You know? yeah. We'll go on and talk about charts because I, I left Bailey Gifford after eight really quite miserable years, um, unsuccessful years, despairing years. Mm. Uh, I went to London and after a year or so, I ended up um, in 1999 with a position with a, a, a prominent um, hedge fund. I didn't know what a hedge fund was, you know, and working with a very flawed, very flawed, disgraceful character, actually, um, but a, a brilliant mind. And and he was using charts. And and actually the charts um, enabled me to monetize the voices in my head. You know, I like to speak as a paranoid schizophrenic. You know, I hear voices, <laughs> voices regarding the future. I spend other people's risk capital and I become very paranoid that, you know, I'm going to lose money. I mean, that's kind of how I would generalize the role of a risk taker. And, and then that all worked at the hedge fund. But as I say, at the, at Bailey Gifford, whilst I could see change, 
Um, and I'd get agitated as the events would you know, get closer and closer and everyone didn't care. Then I was labeled a troublemaker. So, um, so I went from a troublemaker. I stayed a troublemaker, but I started making money. Mm. Now, when you, when you switch now, am I allowed to say where you work? Because it's, yeah. it's very timely. And I'm living in England right now, so I've been following his story. Now, you worked for uh, Chris Minotti with, uh, you know, uh, Ode Asset Management. And what was that like working for him? Because, you know, what we read in the Financial Times, what we read in the Wall Street Journal, I know it's different been, having been in the business, the way people write about somebody. What was that experience like working with him? So given the circumstances, we are talking about, you know, a, a, a disgraced uh, financier um, who um, the allegation, and I can't really sp- speak to the allegation mm-hmm. on the show, but the allegation, but, you know, with candor, the allegation is that, um, I mean, he was a, a molester. He was a, offensive to, to, to younger ladies. He, fought, he was a sexual predator. Um and if that's found true, then, yeah, I mean, they've closed this business. I mean, the, there's been a revolt exactly. against him. Um, and if it's found true, then he, he will continue to pay the, the penalty. Um, all I can say on this show is that he, he, was a, he was attracted to me as being a troublemaker in terms of an intellectual, my, my intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. That I speak my mind. Um, and he was very intellectually generous. He wanted someone to take him on. Again, he, he was a bully. He, he was a nasty person. And, and, and he caused me great fascination because he would never take ownership of errors. Right? Really? This, you know, you know, this is a business. If you're 51% right, you know, like you're going to do really, really, really well. Yeah, but can you imagine not taking responsibility for the for the other forty nine percent? And and it was always the trader. It was it was always the the poor sod on the other side of the telephone, and and the anger was was grotesque. But and yet there he was, profoundly successful. And I I spent the longest time in therapy saying to people, do do you have to be a complete ass uh, to make money in in financial markets? You is there is there that kind of, how do you separate the finalists at the men or the ladies 100 meters uh, sprint final? You know? um, the, the, the margin of difference between winner and loser is impossibly tight. Sure. And genetically, they're all from a very, very tiny you know, gene pool. And it's the same gene pool. And they all train with the same regime. And yet one person mm. is. And is it that when you're in the starting block, you just go, I'm a badass mother. I'm just going to, I mean, I don't know, but uh, for me, I, I, I rejected it. Uh, for me, I, uh, if I have any wisdom to, to share, um, I, I would encourage people that you've got to, you are the architect of your successes, but you own your losses. It's, it's on no one else. And if you can accept that, you'll be wiser and you'll be more robust. And I think for that reason, I had to, I, I, I enjoyed the great honor of running a hedge fund for 15 years, which is considerable. Um, the is. that we see for hedge funds have a, a, a survivorship bias. You know, it's like restaurants, like really good restaurants make a lot of money, but the average restaurant fails within six months of opening hedge funds. Are 
like that. So to, if you will, I mean, you could say it another way. You could say I'm like that. You you spilt red red wine on the white shag carpet last night, and scrub as you may, you cannot get rid of the Hendry red stain on your white carpet. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, so Hugh, so, so, uh, I'm just curious to like the start of the hedge fund. Uh, how did, how did that come about? So how did you transition from, from working, um, to where you're at the, 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 the former hedge fund we were just talking about to, yeah, to your own. Yeah. So, um, so again, if you go back to the, who's, you know, the caricature of the monster now, um, he would, he would take vacations like everyone. Um, and, and someone had to manage his, his hedge fund. And and believe me, that was not a position people were volunteering to take on because it, he he would you know, he, he's in London he would vacation in December in the in the in the Caribbean, um, and so he'd be actually in the winter you'd be six hours behind, uh, he'd be six hours behind. So you'd be sitting kind of around about lunchtime, and you know he's going to call. Yep. And you're going to give them the P and L, and just run daily. It's run, is it up? Is it down? And and sometimes it's a standard deviation event. You know, mm-hmm. and it's going to grill you. And and I just, I just, I saw, I saw good folk reduced to, or reduced to, you know, to tears by that treatment. But I was like, bring it on, no, bring it on, <laughs> bring it on. I'll do it. And the and you know the rule was. Um, if I was sitting there with risk position, um, and and I find myself going, oh, I feel like I should do something, buy or sell, yeah, um, I do something. I and yeah, you know, I do a third, yeah, and it, it's my rule of a, it's a rule, it's the asset capitalist rule of a third, yeah. If in doubt, do a third, okay. <laughs> and my point was, you know, if I sold it and it was wrong, you'd be like, eh, buy it back, no big deal. Yeah. If yeah. I sold it and I was right, it'd be like, thank God, like we're in motion now. And so it's easier to excel mm. out of the position. The hardest thing or the worst thing is just to sit there going, uh, and you know, we had lies, we traded all the time. Boom, 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 boom. So if in doubt I was trading and, and I could deal with that. Nice, nice. I so so now to to your hedge fund, um, Eclectica. I uh, you know, when I was doing research for this, Hugh, I found this this quote interesting. Um your your hedge fund one of the i guess the quotes was describing that you could uh, to a centipede the the comparison was to a centipede that you could cut an arm or a leg off and it's still going to carry on what so could you just maybe describe to us like what exactly that was uh what that quote's uh, referring to well it's quite uh, it, it's it's an it's a nice bridge from what i was saying um the hardest the thing that kills you is to pro- procrastinate like to to get frozen you know mm-hmm. and and it's very understandable. And so I was very much against, uh, the, there was a time when um, a large institutions were demanding that inve- uh, hedge funds had their best ideas fund. Um, and I don't like that. And, and so I likened it to the, you know, that there was a, a true life story that became a movie where you had the free climber and for, he slips or whatever and his, his arm gets lodged in a crevice, a rock crevice. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and no one knows he's there, and he's able to deduce that his leg, his, sorry, his his arm is just permanently lodged there, and he's gonna die. That the only chance of survival is to to cut the section of his arm off 
and you know and and put a you know put a, a bandage but you know like uh, put something tight and stop the blood um and you know who amongst us would do that because we've only got two arms you you spend a long time going oh i don't know mm. oh, i don't know i don't know I don't and of course the genius of that story is the guy did it boom, boom. and it's you know and it it's a shocking story because who amongst us could do that and so the centipede has a hundred legs and um if a centipede loses a leg if it loses five it's going to keep marching on you know keep the the give me another day you know investing is blessed it's wonderful every day of curiosity learning things give me another day if i have to lose a leg boom i'm going to do it so that that's that's where that comes from um, and also i was typically um i want to say kind of frontier investing um the hedge fund that i launched towards the end the the fourth quarter of 2002 um our first calendar year gains were like 50 percent um and that was capturing gold um, and and I was very heavily positioned into um, there was this term back then old economy stocks you know like you know uh, smelting everything mm-hmm. metal bashing and what's you know not in the service sector and I could see the presence of China um, beginning to be the marginal determinant of commodity prices um, and I wanted to buy stocks. Um, in those sectors, but their businesses had been dreadful for 25 years. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so look, so they were beaten up. They'd had bear markets and they had investor disdain and they'd been neglected, but they weren't trading a lot. And so I'd buy lot, I'd, I'd buy lots of, I'd, I'd go in, I'd, I'd own, I don't know, 25 copper stocks, you know, and each day I'd be trading in and out and blah, blah, blah. So I had I had a lot of position because I was typically early in positions, mm-hmm. and I forgive me, but um, you're to my mind. Um, I always said to my clients that my superpower was I was capable. I, I could sing sweetly. I could give you the sweetest pole dance you can imagine. I could be your private dancer. <laughs> I could have your mind just as blowing on you know the 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 concepts of what was going to happen, um, but you could see me the following day and I would, I would reject everything I'd said. <laughs> I wouldn't reject it through dishonesty or whatever, but um, I wouldn't have the position. But, but, but you just told me, I'm like, you don't have it. I'm like, no, the, the trend, you know, kind of changed a little bit. You know, I don't have to own it all the time, you know, like, so. Well, you know, ha- having that like uh, flexibility, that mental uh, flexibility could probably be a strength, right, Hugh? I would say because, you know, people who get, you know, getting locked into a position or or a viewpoint can be very, can be very troubling, right? Yeah, no, indeed. Um, it can be a strength. It can be a weakness. And you don't want your head spinning all the time. Sure. I mean, there is where you have to be committed. I mean, I think if we were trying, uh, transforming into a com- conversation about the, the, the present state of macro and like where, where you'd be assimilating risk positions, we're getting closer and closer to a point where, um, you kind of you don't trade it more like you kind of try and develop an asymmetric position um, and it's asymmetric in the sense that it'll have a fixed loss and you size it according to the loss that will not kill you um, but will provide and facilitate a convex which is to say a kind of an exponential return should you prove correct so I mean there are times when 
you know, you, you can't have the, the spinning top. But by and large, um, again, another one of my rules is it's just wonderful. It's so exciting when you've seen the future. Um, and, and you want to put it on immediately. You know, and I call that the conceit and the arrogance of a well-formed argument. You're the architect. You've just sat there and you've deduced something and you're certain it's going to happen and no one else gets it. And you're like, boom, I'm buddy, I'm buying the stock. And, and that you're too early. Right. So it's like, wow. And you, your friends, your buddies, the people that respect you, you, you share the story and they're like, you know, I can't, I can't flaw that. That's a great idea. And do you mind if I join you? But at that point it's like, stop. And, and call a different friend, i.e. look at the chart, you know. The, and the, and, um, the number of times that I have seen um, people position themselves with their initial position in a stock or an asset class currency, whatever, and it's trending down. Why, like, why would you do that? Like, keep it simple. Buy things going up, sell things going down, right? So there's a... You've got to conceive of the future. You've got to have the intellect to, to form a narrative. I mean, for me, I was conceiving of contentious narratives that I thought could go on and become an accepted belief system. I mean, I'm a preacher man, you know. Uh, <laughs> but it was also inventory management. It was like, okay, great idea. I'm going to keep it over here. And when that stock starts to confirm this idea, then boom, I've got risk position. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Very, yeah. Yeah. Very well. Yeah. No, I love that. It's uh, having the idea, but sticking to like the technicals of, uh, of trading and abiding by that. That's awesome. Uh, Hugh, would you, you, would you still say, um, well, I guess I'll start off with this. Like what, maybe just give us a, a, a rough ballpark of maybe like a time frame that you, that you trade and invest on. Oh, uh, to, like, you know, I'm global macro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that 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 saying. You know the the slow to turn of a of a super tanker. I mean, it was it's agonizingly slow to turn. I mean, the U.S. economy just now, the labor market is agonizingly slow to to turn. I mean, everything else is turning quite rapidly. The Fed, for their sins, are you know posting their their hopes and expectations on on the thing that changes last. It's kind of too late, but anyway. But no, I so and so I would give. I needed let's say two years, um, two years, two years, um, two years. Okay. would be my, I call that my landing strip, you know, so if we bring that together into today's parlance, uh, I, my contentious narrative is the inflation thing is, is nonsense. The money printing is nonsense. Um, there was an exceptional set of global circumstances. Prices went up, um, but they're, they can't remain elevated because of, in actual fact, we're not printing money, um, and so they're going to they're going to fall rapidly, and and I can see I can see the emergence of a of a deflationary recession emerging in parts of Europe and certainly in China, um, and so that that gives me a, an appetite to owning uh, U.S. risk free treasuries. I know risk free kind of seems a preposterous term, um, so but then so then think about my the things I've been telling you. Um, I'm like. Damn, I thought I was smart there. I thought I kind of I was onto something because I look at the chart and the chart the chart ain't going up, and I only buy things going up. I'm like, Duh. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, do I cheat or do I kind of like? In another piece you may have read about me, they called me the Plasticine Macro Trader. You know, I, 
got to be fluid and change shape and, and take it on. And so I, um, I, I buy a call option and I don't like just, you know, every option, right? it's, it's called a bad extrinsic, you know, like people like Ken Griffith uh, at Citadel, every option that you buy is overpriced. So if you're just buying calls or buying puts, you're just paying the casino, you know, mm-hmm. Ken, the richest guy, because he's got the biggest casino in the world, right? And people just blindly buy the bad extrinsic. Um, so I'm a little bit guilty of that. Um, I, I buy a uh, on the TLT, and, and the TLT is an exchange-traded fund trading 17-year-plus maturities and treasuries. Um, has a lot of liquidity in, in the options, and you can go out to January 25. So again, to the point of time frame and landing strip, I began to open these positions earlier this this year, um, and I was attracted to the thing. I can't tell you when the U.S. economy starts to really feel it. I can't tell you when the next financial institution buckles. But I can tell you it's within two years. I can tell you that before the 17th of January, 2025, life will have taken a dramatically different course, I believe, and it won't be a course for the better. Um, so that comes through. Um, and then with the bad extrinsic, you know, I, the, the, the Fed's still just looking at, you know, the lagging indicators. So I sell a bit of 103 calls, you know, and so I cheapen and I, I sell like, 30 i sell like like on average 40 45 days forwards i'm selling 30 and 60 day uh calls um at the out of the money um, and it you know it, it cheapens up the 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 100s that i'm buying and so you know it's been a pretty shitty doggy a year for for fixed incomes just being volatile i've been vol- it's been i was gonna say flat it's been volatile and modestly down but i think i'm about like 10 percent off you know, on, on that strategy. So landing strips um, is, is how I do, do it. And and again, if I was to give you one other flourish, uh, the, the 30-odd percent I made in 2008 came from a trade which was uh, originated in April, May of 2007. Um, and I had bought a two-year forward bet on the, the, the twos versus tens that, you know, the yield curve uh, inversion. I was expecting you get a bear steepener and, and it would move. I think I was a million bucks per basis point of change in the spread. Um, oh. And I sat in misery. There, there was a bit of complexity in my structure. I, I didn't own spot two stands. Um, I, I, owed, I owned the expectation of where spot would be two years hence. And I did it again on the, the, on the basis that I could carry a, a large asymmetric trade that didn't have a negative theta so like every day that passed didn't cost me money um but the complexity made it uh it, it, it deferred my payout i didn't get paid until literally uh the day of the lehman bankruptcy announcement um, oh, and it's wow. a torturous year because you know again it's i keep saying to people don't tell me what's gonna happen tell me what hallucinogenic acidic uh, acid prices are going to do before then because you know in my experience they're going to do a lot of crazy stuff um and you know if you cast your mind back to that uh period the ecb was raising interest rates in the summer of 08 i mean they're just classic idiots 
the oil price was 140 bucks. The Fed was slashing rates, but actually the the capital markets were were wrong. They were saying, "Hey, listen, buddy, for every cut you take in rates, you're going to be adding them. At, they're going to be adding them in two years' time." Um, and and that market kind of prejudice was obliterated when we had the the bankruptcy of Lehman's, and that's when I made the money. Mm-hmm. Nice, excellent, excellent. Yeah, so so Hugh, you know, uh, me, me and JJ, we're uh, you know, we're short term, short time frame type traders. Um, so you know, I'm not I'm not like well versed in the macro, um, nor does it really even really much apply to my trading style. But um, nonetheless, it's still fascinating. Hence, you know, why we're having you on here. Um, I, I believe I seen you say, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but that maybe the the way of viewing the macro economics has changed um over the years um was that true did i did i, did I read that correctly no nope. yeah yeah and i'm just I, i'm I'm real curious from your perspective uh what you think's changed oh what's changed i happens you know um this is where i turn into ray dalio and like you know start boring you to death um if you're listening i love you, <laughs> but, you know. um the i i yeah i mentioned my, my fortunes took a turn for the for the better around 2002 with the opening of my hedge fund and I told you I made 50% in the first calendar year and I made it because I was was acutely aware of the significance of China Um, it'd been accepted into you essentially it'd been accepted as a a trading partner with the rest of the world essentially by the US Um, and uh, that was 25 years ago and um, every macro rule no longer works you know, macro hedge funds have been kind of bit doggy, really. Um, all of the the presets, all of the wisdoms, uh, Charles Kinderberger, Manias, Panics and Crisis, which was the kind of the Bible of how you'd kind of try and train your mind to catch opportunities in macro. Mm-hmm. From that date onwards, never. After the, the, the Asian um, sovereign crisis in the late 1990s with the profound devaluation in the Thai baht et al., Mm-hmm. That was classic Kindleberger, uh, but thereafter Kindleberger has just been a dud. I, I don't mean that facetiously. I mean Kindleberger is an, an, an amazing uh, book. Um, why? Uh, so there's a profound change in the nature of globalization. To keep it short, the uh, you know China in the last forty fifty years has experienced what the U.S. produced in the nineteenth century. You know the industrialization of a mm-hmm. you know backward community into a very thrusting modern very important um, economy uh, the u.s did it in the orthodox manner where uh, you know there's so many investment opportunities you know opening up a chemical plant um, opening a, a railroad telegraph lines canals you know you name it um, the investment pool is far greater than the source of domestic savings in the economy mm-hmm. and and so you solve that by running a, a trade deficit and you have the rest of the world investing their surplus savings and giving you the wherewithal to have this fantastic and high productivity investment uh, super cycle. Um, the Chinese rejected that model. And I think they rejected it owing to the, the, the near proximity of seeing the Thai bat et al like implode because uh, the repercussions of that were that you had kleptocracies, you had the long-standing political leaders in that region, and they were all booted out. 
you know, the West, the West had lost money. The Western institutions like the IMF came in and they imposed, if you will, regime change. And the Chinese Communist Party, like, eh, we don't really do regime change forever, <laughs> kind of thing. And so they decided to do uh, an industrialization policy, which would be funded from domestic savings. And so China runs, as we know, it's it's nothing cultural. It's very much an economic orthodoxy by the the Communist Party. Um, they 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 impose um, the need for high savings on their household sector, which then acts as a, a subsidy to their manufacturing sector, and um, and and you know they've they run profound, huge, persistent um, trade surpluses, especially with with America. Um, and in economics, is all about, it's meant to be mean reverting. Uh, so that that's great. They did smart things. A lot of their investments were were hugely productive up until about 2008. And classically within economics, their currency should have appreciated to, to, if you will, to reflect and honor that comparative advantage, but also to to reward um, Chinese citizens. They would become richer vis-a-vis the rest of the world. And therefore they would have the wherewithal to buy more and more goods and services produced by the rest of the world. And so the, the huge trade surplus would narrow as the currency goes up and we would be back in equilibrium. Uh, that hasn't happened. Uh, instead, the Chinese, they don't essentially buy goods and services. They buy U.S. financial assets. Interesting. And so I believe QE is an imaginary um, hyped thing by idiots of the Federal Reserve that the true source of money printing, which is responsible for the elevation in asset pr- global asset prices, has come from this particular quirk and change in globalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and until we change that, we're just going to have more and more asset price inflation. Um, but at the same time, it, it acts as a, and this is where it's controversial just now, you know, it, it, it acts as a barrier for higher wages. So presently, you know, we've had this inflation spurt and people are, you know, their real incomes have been devastated because they haven't had the increase. Well, that that goes to my script. You can't have China where every day they're resetting labor prices lower. Their currency is beginning to slide and devalue again. It's devalued modestly over the last 35 years. Maybe it's accelerating. It's kind of impossible to go into your manufacturing company in America and go, I need a 10% rate hike, a uh, price wage hike, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. Uh, we're moving to China, you know. So, exactly. Um, exactly. So you have asset price inflation and you have disinflation in the wages of real folk. And so you've got a discrepancy like houses and stocks and education and healthcare become more and more prohibitively expensive for the real folk. Um, and I and I, I hope and pray that that changes. I think there are means to changing it. Um, you could replicate uh, what President Kennedy did in 64. I think he had the um, the equal rate was it the rate equalization act? Forgive me, I should know this better. Um, but he he put a withholding tax uh, on sovereigns coming in and buying uh, U.S. financial assets to discourage them. He was worried about they they were under the the gold standard regime, and he was he was worried that they could pool gold as they redeemed those oh. financial assets. Yeah. Uh, that's effectively closing the capital account. That's making it very hard. So if you if you say to the Chinese, hey, listen, you know what? Like, uh, you're you're kind of smart, right? Um, and we're going to copy you. So you close your capital account. We're closing our capital account. You know, finger to the man kind of thing. 
the US won't do that. Um, so an alternative is kind of embodied in the CARES Act, you know, the great and silly Great Inflation Reduction Act. But the US is now pivoting to copying the subsidization of onshore manufacturing and trying to bring jobs and well-paid jobs back into the US and to try and encourage private sector investment, albeit subsidized. It has to be subsidized just now because the Chinese are subsidizing. That's a step in the right direction, but um, it, it requires more. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that, Hugh. Um, gonna, yeah, go ahead, sorry, yeah, I just want to just quick question. The last week when we we were going to have you on, I had just read that the UK plans to overturn a ban on naked short selling in um, you know of sovereign bonds. Uh, now you are quite active in that market. Can you maybe comment on that a little bit? Well, you, you're saying that presently you can't short. Uh, guilt because for sure you can well yeah they were saying that they're proposing to scrap the eu restrictions on short selling of sovereign bonds you know arguing that it's easier for investors such as hedge funds to bet against bonds and it'll boost liquidity yeah i'm I'm unsure as to the authenticity of that but um um, the short, short selling is just asinine you know, and, and to that point, um, you destabilize the internal structure of the market when there is there isn't the presence of shorts because mm-hmm. you are removing a constituency, the only constituency that actually has the willingness and the wherewithal to purchase assets when exactly they, when yeah. they plunge because you know they're profit seeking, they wish to to realize their profits. Yeah. When you take out that fundamental. A source of liquidity in a falling market, then you just magnify the scale of the drop. Exactly. Uh, There's no short bid. Yeah. Indeed. But, you know, the, the, it was devastating to like good, honest, you know, speculation in, in 2008 because, uh, you know, like the US bank sector made an, an all time high. Like, you know, um, mm-hmm. just well, Lehman's went bankrupt. Why? Because they banned short selling. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I've been. I, I was talking. I was modestly tweeting overnight about the is it KRE the uh, the regional U.S. bank index, um, and you know it, it's fallen two thirds from its all time high. Um, that, to my mind, is the fat lady. There's going to be there are going to be more financial uh, accidents in that sector. Their business is severely challenged. Severely challenged by the regulator, the Federal Reserve. It seems to be trying to put them out of business. Uh, but everyone knows it, and and they're gonna they're gonna trade higher. And then it's like uh, maybe another regional bank does go bankrupt, and I think it's likely. Uh, and then does the Fed come in and and ban short selling? Um, so we could get to the point where uh, the the KRE actually trades back at its all time high. I mean that that's the the footprint from two thousand and eight. So you've been right. You've had a series of major banks go bankrupt, and yet the damn thing trades at an all-time high. Assets, <laughs> risk assets, are hallucinogenic in their in their transition from bull markets into bear markets. They never see it. They're like, hey, boom, I'm dead. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Hugh, for, uh, for, for the listeners, um, uh, other than yourself, who, who would you tell people, or who are some people that you yourself personally... Um, maybe look to or follow or read um, for, you know, macro, global macro picture? Well, I 
I say, um, do I say it jokingly? I don't know. Um, but I typically say, hey, there's only five people in the world that actually understand money. Yeah. Which is to say that um, the, the central banks don't understand money. I mean, I mean, I, I had uh, Professor Steve Hanke, a, a wonderful, graceful gent from the University of um, John Hopkins in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's 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 the dawn. You know, he's been there for fifty six years, um, and he's got this rule that you know ninety five percent of what you read in the financial press is just bunkum. You know, and I was reading the Financial Times this morning uh, and I kind of copy and paste. uh, There was a quote from the CIO, uh, who will remain uh, nameless, uh, of an institution which is responsible for $1.2 trillion. And that's 1,200 billion US dollars. And he says, the Bank of England has had a checkered history in sending comforting signals to investors. You you see there's no mention of money in that statement it's like it's like a love heart relationship oh yeah i'm gonna cross with you just now like you're proving so cranky i mean i like it when you tell me that you know good things i don't like it when you tell me that inflation is above target you know it's, it's people this moron does not understand money and he's the cio of an institution with 1.2 trillion dollars again in context <laughs> The U.S. economy is $25 trillion. This moron is responsible for 125th of the size (laughs) of the U.S. economy. And he doesn't understand money. And he's not alone. You know, do you think Jay Powell understands money? Do you you get appointed Fed chairman because you understand money? He's a lawyer. right? What are lawyers good at? They're good at kind of being soothing and telling you bad news and charging you for it. You know, (laughs) they do communication. Right. So... Literally, I did one time, I sat with my, I was like, okay, I'm going to count the people. Uh, one, two, I got to three, three and a half. And I, was like, I couldn't get to five. So I don't know if there are five. Uh, <laughs> now, in terms of educating ourselves, um, um, there are, uh, Twitter is an amazing resource. Uh, I know we all bought it at the wrong price, but it's an, an amazing resource. Unfortunately, um, a lot of the young folk are not, like attracted to it. I mean, I've got a 19-year-old daughter and a 21-year-old son or soon to be. Um, they, they would never be on Twitter. They're on, they're on the gram. They're on Snap, mm. but they're not on Twitter. And the joy of Twitter is the public utility that there are great minds. Um, and, and so for me now, before I read the insanity of the financial press, I have Twitter lists. So I don't have to scroll through that, you know, just noise that they... Yeah. He yep. sent you. I, I've got I've got a list of about ten people that, um, and I I know for certain that overnight they will have written something and they will have impacted some some wisdom. And I sit there and I ponder. And, um, I follow quite a few kind of like jazzy kind of economic thinkers. They post a chart and very graphical, and so that helps me. Um, if I gave you two names, you know my my thesis with regard to globalization. Mm-hmm. and its impact on asset prices and wages that would very much come under the auspices of professor michael pettis um he's a former investment banker don't hold that against him um but he he grew up with the kind of brady bond you know with the the, the blow up citigroup was bankrupt in 2019 citigroup was bankrupt in 1980 to 1982 with brazil imploding um and so he he cut his teeth on emerging market crises 
and he now teaches economics at Peking University. Uh, and he's prominent. I'd recommend people follow him on Twitter. And then I have to say, I love, I call him Jesus, Jesus, but I, I love Jeff, Jeff Snyder, uh, the Eurodollar University. If I was running a hedge fund today and some kid came seeking a job, if they could not quote verbatim from Jeff's extensive uh, catalog, uh, which is all about trying to understand the, 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 this profound, dark private sector matrix, which creates dollars. More dollars are created offshore than created through bank lending and uh, onshore in the United States. Uh, if you can't quote chapter and verse from, uh, from Jeff's show, then you, know, you, you ain't hanging with me. So there, there's, if you will, two, two prominent names. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, obviously that's how we found you was on Twitter and, um, you know, like I was saying, like we're short-term traders. So I, I, I really, I don't play too much attention to the global stuff, uh, unless, you know, just for curiosity of myself, you know, I, I like it, but then I, you know, I came across you and I'm like, who, like, who is this guy? Like just totally different off the wall, uh, centric style. And, uh, it was it was refreshing, man. It it was it was nice. Um, and and I think um, I guess where I'm going with this is like like the curiosity, like the 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 outside of the box thinking. I I tend to like lean more into that. Like even myself, like I think that's probably a strength. I think in trading, and even some of the, a bunch of the people we've had on the show, we've had like real contrarian type um, traders. Um. Have you seen that, you know, through your time working is it kind of more of the people who are against the grain as opposed to, you know, the herd, the the herd mentality that's going to, you know, makes more of a successful trader or my maybe a little off base. I mean, the, the, the principal message of asset capitalism, I should be wearing my hat. I can't find it. <laughs> the um, assetcap.com uh, folks are very, very expensive preposterous hats that say asset capitalism but people stop you and they'll say wow um anyway um cheaper than lvmh um the, <laughs> the principal message of asset capitalism is that you don't have to be a douchebag yeah you know, <laughs> yeah. like I'm, I'm getting divorced just now so i'm kind of reacquainting myself with the ladies and you know, like inevitably they're going to say, Hey, what'd you do? Like, and they typically say to me, like, you know, like, so you're in the music business. And I'm like, the last thing I want to damn say is I'm a, I'm a former hedge fund manager. I'm like, God, I go be like, I'm out of here, honey. I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. So, um, and so I, I, um, investing in speculation, you know, um, again, the suits. The suits call it the dismal science of procrastinating the future. Um, <laughs> screw them and their linear thinking. Like it's an art form. I mean, it's a pre- it, this is a preposterous endeavor. We're trying to anticipate the future, and we don't have a time machine, and we're just making it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Know, think think of it this way. Um, I was watching another movie last night. It was, oh, my God, it was so dark last night. Um, I was watching Sicario, Cicero. Oh, yeah. great movie. Yeah. yeah, well, there's two. Um, mm-hmm. There are two great movies, but the first one is, I mean, and again, the cinema photography is unbelievable. I think Jack Villeneuve or something, who sounds like a dead Formula One race, car racer. Exactly. The, um, <laughs> it is the deepest, darkest hole. I mean, it's just so black. Anyway, um, so I watch <laughs> I watch a lot of 
experience. And but you know, my, my buddy was saying to me, why, why is it that so much of art captures the future? So you know, to be a little bit silly, but not so silly, think of a lot of the Star Trek things, or or more significantly, you think of um um a space odyssey 2000 exactly i mean they've got ipads i mean they're facetiming they're zooming exactly and sometimes i think like i hear that president biden is going to come out in september and actually confirm that they have evidence of you know alien intelligence (laughs) and a a vessel and all that i mean who knows but you know um, well arthur c clark did come up with the idea for satellites yeah oh and so much you know and and sorry, back to movies really quick. I, I heard that one of your favorite characters is Bricktop from, from from Snatch. Yes, yes, which is one of my favorite characters. And a lot of my clients were like Bricktop. This oh. is the reason why I don't show my face. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I definitely I, I wear I, I, I certainly wear uh, spectacles in a manner which salutes the insanity of Bricktop. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, no. So, so, so my point is, you know, to try and see round corners. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of helps just not to be another like suit guy. Yeah. Um, you know, flexibility of mind. I mean, everything we've discussed from being the, you know, the caterpillar, the plasticine man. It's all about evolution, changing. It's, it's all about avoiding just being fearful. I'm not fearful. Yeah, I, mean, I talked about I, I like treasuries, but you know I put it in a kind of permanent portfolio structure. Like if I had a million buck portfolio, I'd have like two hundred grand in Nasdaq, right? I wouldn't have a million. I have two hundred grand, right? And that'd be my equity thing. Things going up seems crazy, but you know, like we live in a world crazy things happen. Um, I'd have in my million dollar portfolio, I'd have seventy thousand dollars invested in those call options on the the TLT. If I come into real assets, I'd have 200 grand in Bitcoin, that given it's a million dollar portfolio, I'd be buying Bitcoin at a 30% discount via Grayscale. Mm-hmm. And then you come into the final quarter, I've, so I've spent 200 on NASDAQ, 200 on Bitcoin, 70 grand. I've got half a million dollars in cash. And as you know, I could actually, I could just buy NASDAQ futures and I could buy Bitcoin futures, right? So I'd really have a million dollars of cash thereabouts, you know? And I'd be earning 5% on on cash, I might earn seven. I might have some in muni bond ETFs, yeah, uh, money market funds. Um, I'm kind of cool, you know. And then if <laughs> if I get if I get price confirmation in my favorite asset class, which is the bonds, just think of how much I can buy. All right, and so I'm sitting there. I'm I'm making making money. I'm not making as much if it's a hundred percent long Nasdaq. You know, it's not my business. So tranquility, but. Um, flexibility, you know, um, and mm-hmm. curiosity every day is, is, a, is a day of wonder. I'm alive, you know, stay alive. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I, great. um, yeah, I'm of the same mind for sure. I love the, yeah, the, the intellectual curiosity, the outside the boundaries, push the edge, maybe a little bit question. Um, I, it's, uh, it's all good stuff. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, Bitcoin. Q, do you, do you just have any like uh, I guess general overarching thoughts on uh, Bitco- uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general? Um, my, my comment is Bitcoin, not crypto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think um, I mean Bitcoin's not been around for long enough. It's, you know, like it's a, a it's a grain of sand versus the longevity of the gold market. Uh, but I think it's long enough to have established itself 
as a, an ongoing asset class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that seems to be confirmed kind of by the US government belatedly coming in and wiping out crypto um, and, and regulating it and, and allowing, you know, these gigantic institutions, you know, BlackRock and Fidelity and stuff, they can smell the money. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we can now actually, we can launch an ETF and then we'll have thousands of people phoning up that people going, you got to buy Bitcoin. You got to put it in our ETF, right? And, and so I know all of them. I mean, that, that's everyone knows that. But Bitcoin, in terms of the market value, so we uh, theoretically they're going to there's a limit of 21 million coins, and then people say, "Oh, whatever, 21 million coins." Um, you take today's present market uh, market value of those 21 million coins, and you're talking about something like half a trillion dollars in market worth. Okay, and and I I kind of said to you, I, I do this. Global macro compass four quadrants, equities, fixed income, real assets, cash. Real assets, that's a $100 trillion allocation. You know, uh, in terms of you could have it in oil, you could have it in private equity, you could have it in gold. You know, gold is a, gold today is a $13 trillion asset class. So gold is 26 times the size of Bitcoin. Um, and I know there's a lot of gold enthusiasts. And they're like, gold's going to triple. Gold's going to go to 6,000 bucks. I'm like, maybe. You know, I mean, I, I smoke a lot of marijuana. You know, maybe, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if gold's at 6,000, it's going to be like valued at like 30, 40% greater than all US stocks. I don't think so, right? Now, if Bitcoin triples, okay, uh, yeah. it would be trading at 100,000 and it'd have a $1.5 trillion market cap. Which would be kind of smaller than Meta or exactly. Facebook, you know. So it it has the potential, it has the convexity that we all, you know, we we want to make a lot of money because yep. I imagine a lot of the folk watching this are kind of young kids and they're like, you know, don't tell me to buy the S and P and I'm yep. going to make like four or five percent and you're going to charge me fees. I'm poor. I'm in a hurry to catch up. You know. So yeah, that's yep. that's the formulation behind Bitcoin. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Now, Hugh, appreciate your time, man. This is my favorite part. We got some like miscellaneous questions here, not uh, uh, unmarket related. Um, so I'll start with this because you did. You mentioned you mentioned you're back out now uh, dating the ladies. Uh, I'm just curious. what What's it like? I mean, I, I'm not sure how long you were married for, but what what's it like going back onto uh, the dating market maybe after a while? Not. It, it's impossible. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I married my first date. I was just too preoccupied. And I, I came up for air, met a lovely lady. I'm like, fantastic. And I'm back in, inside into looking at the future, you know. Yeah. Uh, 35 years. Bloody hell. Um, and um, I'm learning a lot of vivid sexual expressions. Um, I, I now know things that none of my friends at my age know. I mean, like trombone, <laughs> things like that, you know. Do you want a rusty trombone? I'm like, you know, like, send me a WhatsApp, you know. I mean, you know, this, is, this is why the people tune in. Yeah, yeah. This is why the exactly. people tune in. This, yeah. is, this is it. We've got, um, I'm going to add a new one too. I think, you know, we're, we've got the Hunter S. Thompson of finance with us, which is great. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, that I mean, uh, asset capitalism is Gonzo finance. You know, mm, Gonzo, exactly. So I spent all my time on Twitter quoting Jim Morrison. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Like, what have we done to our fair sister? We've ravaged and we've plundered her. I'm talking about you know, the, the policy mistakes, consistent, consistent, profound policy mistakes, which are uh, creating a, a large disenfranchised population. And, and I'm trying to speak to them. I'm like, I've got to take acid just to deal with just how bleak. I've got to live in a bubble fantasy island called St. Bars because out there in the real world is gruesome. It's really, really bad. But there's some hot ladies. So I do have to <laughs> oh, I need that. Um, But then my problem is it's really hard. It's like, you know, like you get the, the pretty ladies, but I kind of need the pretty mind. And that's yeah. like, oh, that is tough. That, that is tough. But I hang out some really, really funky places. So, and you know, I, and again, I, I, I need creative people. I need creative people. So, uh, so I'm pursuing it, but, and you know, St. Boris is not the place because, you know, people come here and they have an amazing time. They're like, I'm going to return to real life. So I don't live in real life. I'm never going mm-hmm. to find anyone that I can only find people in real life. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's tough, man. No, I'm, I'm with you there, Hugh. I, um, you know, looks, looks are great, but it's that, you know, you need that creative mind. You need the stimulation as well. I'm, I'm with you there, man. Plus I need them to be just a little, I mean, more than a little, but kind of bat shaped crazy. I, I do love just, <laughs> you know, I, I've had a few adventures where just, I just sat there going and just watching this girl like explode, get angry. And then talking to another girl, she's like, kiss me. It will drive her crazy. She'll love you. Uh, I'm like, really? I don't know. And yeah, blah, blah, blah. Saying too much. No. <laughs> no, it's all right. I don't, I, I don't know if many girls, actually there are girls that listen to the show. So we'll, um, yeah, we'll move on here. Uh, Hugh. <laughs> don't second, give me a call. Me. <laughs> call, call Hugh. He, he's, if, he's single. Call him ladies. Call him. If you're in state Bart's. Um, so I, I imagine there's probably, you got people vacationing from all over the world, huh? You're, you're meeting a variety of people predominantly north america predominantly okay but this time of year actually we get a lot of um uh, south american um and and actually it, the, the great joy um is in august the island you know it's a french caribbean island mm-hmm. but in in august um we 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 we, we pivot and and about 60 70 percent of the tourists are actually from france okay. and nice. it's just, uh, french vibe and nice. I, I can talk about the ladies, but I mean, I need a French lover. Uh, and so, <laughs> it has a really amazing vibe um, in August. Hot as hell, but hot French ladies and, and you know, gents and stuff. And, you know, there's a, it's funny seeing the, like being on a beach at Christmas time, it is North America. And the guys are, what do you call that expression? Buff? Is it buff? You know, like they're all yeah. on steroids. They've all got big muscles. You know, they're all, <laughs> Uh, walking around and then in the summer and, and drinking and not exercising and then in august it's these like like leith leith l-i-t-h-e um svelte gentlemen like wearing budgie chokers and you know and windsurfing like <laughs> they've looked after that it's, it's a different perception aesthetically of of what manhood should look like Okay, interesting. Interesting. What what's uh what are the the locals like? Are there lo like uh, I'm just I'm just not familiar with the, the island at all. Yeah, no, the locals are um there's about a permanent community of ten, eleven thousand, which mm-hmm. I'm part of. Um and the this is like a ski a ski village, you know, and the kids come in, 
they get paid a lot of money, but their accommodation is impossibly expensive. Like, you know, does that sound familiar? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously hard. Uh, they they get a bit of savings and then they go on. You know, like a lot mm-hmm. of the kids have gone on now and they're working in Saint-Tropez. After Saint-Tropez, they'll be working in the French ski resorts and then they'll come, they'll, they'll come back in here. So that, that's the kind of rotation they do. Okay, okay, excellent. Okay, I guess I guess maybe more on a uh, deeper front here, Hugh. Are, are there any... Um life philosophies that you say you subscribe to oh yeah uh, um i'm s- s- somewhat i mean related to what we we're discussing um but it uh with the divorce and the longevity of the previous relationship um and you know normally i'm loose and fluid but the, the big takeaway was like gee I, why didn't i work that out it's the 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 impermanence of life mm-hmm. you know? nothing lasts forever and, and that's but even in a day when you're trading nothing lasts forever kind of thing True. and and i that that rescued me that's very kind of buddhist um in the meditation and stuff but just recognizing you know and you see this there, there are some astonishing youtube videos and whatever where you have terminal terminally ill cancer patients and and they're glowing it's so like you know what i'm checking out <laughs> unfortunately it's going to be a bit early but we're all checking out and um, i'm checking out not as a slave you're all slaves you're all believing these impossible things you know someone is wired i, I was poorly wired and then i had trauma and I, it gave me a brain hack now now i see the how astonishing life is so thank god i've not not yet had any terminal like health scare but um yeah i had a, a, a profound a trauma of a life experience and 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 that that's the wisdom there's always something that comes from you know, there's always a yin and a yang yeah absolutely i yeah i love that man the um like you said like it's it is it's like it is buddhist right like the um the in the impermanence of life and like you know there, there's so many like stuff i i swear like the the difference between life and trading it's like there's no difference it's the same principles uh when you really break it down um which you know that's what i love about it um i guess guess for you who uh for you uh hugh um you know everyone has like different ideas of like quote unquote what success is what's what's success for you oh success is just not giving a damn um you know i i i I was on twitter and i was saying you know i'm a billionaire um but i then did go on to say it's just that i calibrate my billions with a different metric. I don't really use dollar bills. Uh, I measure it in my ability to just not give a damn. You know, I can, I can say anything. I can't, I just, I've got nothing to be embarrassed about. I'll tell you anything. I mean, try it, man. Don't try me. But, uh, <laughs> and, and that's a profound, uh, that's a profound uh, wealth. Uh, so it's a profound um, asset that I have. That is. That is, that is, that's, that's awesome. I, I, uh, yeah, I love, I, I appreciate it. That's why we, we had you on here, man. I, I appreciate the, the, this out, you know, this, this sort of thinking, um, JJ, um, I think that wraps it up for me. You, you got any uh, last questions here for Hugh? Well, I have no questions. Just thank you so much for being with us. It's really wonderful to have someone, um, you know, I, I saw the the quote on one of your videos. You know, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Um, you know that last line from Blade Runner, and you know I've been through some insane things too. So it's really nice to see other people who've been there make it back out to the other side, and um, you know, uh, 
a lot of people in this business, you know, they, they want to be successful and things like that, but it's, uh, it's always valuable to have people around who've been to the dark side and come back and made it and, um, you know, have an attitude the way you do. And thank you so much for being with us. It's, it's been an honor to have you on the show. Really, really happy to have you on the show. I mean, thank you. I mean, if I may, if I could just give a little promo for the asset capitalism, you know, we have have a, I have a a show once a week. Um, I've got a Patreon service uh, where I wish I love where it is a kind of mentoring thing. Um, And, you know, periodically I spend 40 minutes on, 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 on a zoom call with people and, and, you know, I'm, I'm in bedrooms. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm in the real world and, and, and discussing things. It's very Walt Disney. I mean, some of the people, that I meet is like, you know, where I'm a Formula One race driver equivalent, if you will. And, and like, you know, uh, we, we get to talk car mechanics, you know, so it's, we, we do that. And I'm on Twitter, Hendry underscore Hugh. I'm on the gram, you know, Hugh Hendry official. Uh, and the, the asset capitalist is the, the name of the podcast show. So uh, the more that we have, the merrier that we all are. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's, it's excellent, excellent content coming from Hugh. Uh, JJ, Steve's going to kill me. I forgot to, uh, I forgot to give a shout out to our sponsor here oh, of the podcast, Apex Trader and Top Step Funding. Any listener of the podcast that has the skills to pass an evaluation can become a prop trader fully funded by either Apex Trader or Top Step Funding. Our own micro e futures trading community has many members who are now fully funded. No need to trade with your own money. Keep 90% of the profits. To learn more, you can visit our website at microefutures.com. Yep, Hugh. I was going to ask you to to you know tell the listeners where to find you. You already did that, um, guys. Go on there, follow Hugh. Uh, man, just 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 absorb everything you said, man. I am um, Hugh. Is this uh, absolute pleasure having you on, man? Thanks for bestowing your your, your thought processes, giving us a little, you know depth into your mind, sharing some wisdoms. Appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So for Hugh Hendry, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop so.